Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's great to be here with you, and it's great to see some familiar faces here and also meet some new people as well, so it's great to be here with you. I want to begin by asking if anyone here loves the ocean. Is there anyone? A few hands. Does anyone hate the ocean? One, a couple of people. Well, I love the ocean, and my whole life, pretty much, I've lived right near the coast, near the beach. And so I lived in Port Macquarie, New South Wales, moved up to Kingscliff, and then moved to the Central Coast, and then I moved to Melbourne, and I don't live very close at all to the beach. And so uh, living in Melbourne, one thing I really miss is the beach. And uh, a little while ago, I got to, I had a friend who invited me to go surfing with them, and which was really exciting, but it was right, it was not that long ago, and it was so cold. Um, but even though it was freezing, I had a really awesome time. Now, that's not me surfing. That's just a picture to get you in the in the zone of what thinking about the ocean is like. So I enjoy surfing. Um, and one of the things that has always really stood out to me about the sport of surfing is how much of it depends completely upon what the ocean is doing on that day. You bring whatever skill or ability that you have, and that that adds a little bit to the experience that you have, but so much of your experience is just completely at the mercy of the ocean. Sometimes you'll be out there and you'll be ready to catch a wave and the whole the waves will just go completely flat. And it might be half an hour, even an hour, where you're just sitting out there bobbing around in the ocean and there's there's absolutely no waves coming in. Everything is just calm and peaceful. Then there are those times when uh, everything lines up and you're in the right place at the right time and that perfect wave comes and you get up on it and you're just, it's just this exhilarating feeling and you're just having this absolute high riding on top of this wave. But then there are those other times where you're in the wrong place at the wrong time and instead of being on top of the wave, the wave is on top of you and you get just smashed into the water and tumbled around like you're in a clothes dryer and, um, and you're just sort of hoping that you'll be able to get back to the surface to get that breath of air. But worst of all is when you get hit with not just one of those waves, but you get a whole set of those waves, and the moment you get up out of the water, you look and you see this next wall of whitewash about to um, tumble you into the water again. Now, the reason I share that with you is because life is sometimes a little bit like that. There are times in life where everything is calm, everything is rosy, everything is just going along and it's just nice and easy and your experience with life is, is, is peaceful and it's calm. There are other times in life where you're in the right place at the right time and everything comes together and you have it's exhilarating and you're just riding on the high of life. But then there are those times where life is on top of you and some disaster strikes or something happens and um, you just get smashed by the things that are that are happening to you, often completely out of your out of your hands. But worst of all are those sins in life where you get smashed, not just with one of those things, but a whole set of disasters come your way and you can find yourself just wondering how will I ever get through this situation. Well, today we're going to look at a character from the Old Testament who had one of those experiences. And his name is Job. Oh, I don't have the slide there. Here we are. His name is Job. And um, the story of Job is found in the book called Job. And he was a man who lived a long, long time ago, one of the earliest written books in the Bible. And um, one of the great things about his story is it helps us to wrestle with the, prob- the question of why 
do people suffer? Why is why do bad things happen to good people? Why why do these sorts of calamities? Why are they part of our, our life experience? And so we're going to dive on into the story and see what sort of lessons we can learn from the story of Job. So the story begins by introducing Job, and the Bible has these really great descriptions of what Job, what sort of a person Job was like. These are the words the Bible uses to describe Job. It says he was blameless, he was upright, he was someone who feared God and shunned evil. And so in an ancient world where there was so much strife and wickedness around, he, Job was someone that was stood out like a bright light. He was someone that wanted to help the people around him and to make their lives better. And when you actually read through the book, there's these little sort of insights that you get of what that actually looked like. He was someone that, that took care of orphans. He took, took care of widows. If there was anyone that was in danger, he was someone who would do all he could to protect them. If someone was experiencing some sort of injustice, Job was there to help them. And the thing with Job was he wasn't just someone who wanted to help people, but he actually had the means to really help as well. The Bible says that Job was the greatest man among all the peoples of the East. And when it says great there, in particular it's referring to his, the great wealth and the great influence that he had as a person. And so the Bible says he had 500 oxen, 500 donkeys, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, and had this huge family of 10 children. And so he was quite a remarkable person. And, and really he was someone that was living on, riding on the high of life. It was, everything was going well for Job. And he had this wonderful um, place, wonderful life, and was really someone who just reached out and cared for the people around him. The problem is, though, that all of that was about to fall apart. And there was disaster about to strike in Job's life. And little did Job know that there was a conversation happening in heaven behind the scenes that was about to impact his life in a really, really dramatic way. So we're going to read, I've got the verses on the screen, and we're going to read the account of what this mysterious, um, unseen conversation was that was happening behind the scenes. So the Bible says, says this, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. So here's this mysterious um, gathering happening in heaven and, and there's, there's these heavenly beings that are there and amongst them is Satan. And God says to Satan, hey, have you seen my man Job? He, he's someone who does all he can to, to, follow, to follow me and, and he's this wonderful person, he's blameless, he's upright. And Satan says, yeah, well, of course he is. You're just always blessing him. You give him all these good things he has this appearance of being this great person, but it's all just a show. It's, all, it's not real, it's not genuine. In fact, and Satan puts out the, the challenge to God, says, God, if you, if you stop blessing him, you wait and see. He will turn around and he will turn his back on you quicker than you can imagine. 
And so this is what God says in response. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And if there was ever an, an ominous verse in the Bible, this is it. And so you kind of left wondering, what is going to happen next? And so here's Job. He's wandering along, he's living his life, he's enjoying all the things that are happening. But suddenly, a man runs up to him and was one of his servants. And he has this just distressed look in his face. And he's like, Job, 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 Job. I was out with, with the oxen and the donkeys and the Sabians. They came and they, they formed this raid and they attacked us. And they stole all of your oxen. They stole all of your donkeys and all of the servants that were looking after them. They killed them all. Only I survived. And so, and Job's like, like, this is this wave of disaster that crashes into Job. And he's just like, whoa, wow, that's it. That's terrible. But the problem was it wasn't just going to be one of those waves. He looks out and he sees a second servant running up to him saying, Job, 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 Job. I was out in the field with all of those 7,000 sheep. And this lightning struck and this fire um, caught, caught a light and there was this incredible blaze and um, all of your sheep died and all the servants died in this blaze. Only I was able to survive from this, from, from this disaster. And Job's just like, wave number two. And then he looks out and there's a third servant running his way. Um, Job, 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 the Chaldeans attacked us and they stole all of your camels. Only I was the only person that escaped. Only I am left. Wave number three smashes into Job. And then the fourth wave came. And he sees this servant coming towards him who just had this like, this distress and agony on his face. And he says, Job, 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 your sons and your daughters, they were all having a party in a, in a, in one of their houses. And this terrible storm suddenly came out of nowhere. And the house fell down and killed all of your children. And Job just finds himself just smashed by four successive waves of devastation in his life. Now, if that happened to you, how would you respond? I don't know how I would respond, but this is what happened to Job. And he's just overwhelmed with, with grief and distress by this news. And this is how the Bible describes Job's response. It says... At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Fascinating response by Job. Yes, he's overwhelmed with grief and distress and he's so just distraught by the situation. But he doesn't turn on God, but he falls on his knees in, in, in praise and worship of God, and he, and he, and he holds on to his, his relationship with God in the midst of that terrible suffering. Now, that I think that's... Job was a pretty impressive person. I don't know if I would respond that way. But when you look at that example, you're like, wow, Job, like this is... Like he really had this resilient walk with God. And... I wish that was the end of the story. But unfortunately, there's another one of those little mysterious conversations about to be had in heaven. And this is what happens. It says, On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. 
And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his life, but now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So here we have ominous verse number two. (laughs) And so Satan goes out from God's presence and he brings some more waves of devastation into Job's life. And the next thing that um, that Satan afflicts is Job's health. And this terrible sickness breaks out on Job from the top of his head, the Bible says, to the bottom of his feet. So if he stood, he was in pain. If he sat down, if he was in pain. If he lay down, he was in pain. He was just in total misery. And the Bible describes him as sitting in this just pile of ashes with a broken piece of pottery just scraping the sores. And he's just this like, he's unrecognizable now from where he once was. And then his wife comes along and she just looks at him and is just like, what are you doing, Job? What are you doing? Are you still holding on to God in the midst of all of this? Just give up already. Curse God and die. You want to see what Job says in response? It says, he replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So once again, we see this resilience of Job and he doesn't turn his, his back on God even in the midst of all of this terrible things that happened. But I want to point out something in what... Job says that that is I find a bit disturbing. Job says this line, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Who does Job believe is the one who brought the trouble into his life from this? God. He's saying, shall we not accept good from God and not trouble? So, so Job here believes that all of these terrible things that have happened in his life have come from God. Now, as readers of the book, and as you've just heard the story, who did they come from? Satan. It's very clear that Satan's the one that comes down and he causes all of these terrible things to happen. But what's interesting is that Job knows nothing about that. And as a reader, you're almost like, hey, Job, that's not, that's not the reality here. This is Satan that's caused all of these things to come into your life. But Job knows nothing about it and he thinks that all of the trouble has come from God. And one of the, the, the big lessons that I want you to take away from this story is that one of the Satan's that one of the sorry, one of the lies that Satan loves to tell is this one that God is the cause of your trouble. Satan tells this over and over and over again in many different ways. And what's interesting is that after this part in the story, Job gets a visit from three of his friends, and they come there to com- comfort him but they end up in this really big argument and this really big debate about why all of these terrible things are happening. And for 35 chapters in the book of Job, we just see this conversation go back and forth and back and forth between Job and his friends. And Job has his ideas about why all of this is happening and the friends have their ideas about why all of this is happening. 
But what's interesting is that not once, as far as from what I've read through, not once did they actually question whether or not these terrible things came from God. The underlying assumption through all of these 35 chapters is that God is the cause of Job's trouble. But as the readers, we know that this is not the case. So the question is, well, why would Satan want us to think that God is the source of our trouble? Well, the thing is, if we think that all of these bad things that happen in our life actually originated with God, then that starts to impact the way that we actually view God. And when you look at what happens to Job, this is exactly what happens to Job. He starts viewing God not as this God of love and kindness and compassion who's for him, but he starts actually viewing God as the enemy. I want to share with you a few little snippets from this 35-chapter-long conversation um, that show how this, what this picture is of God that Job begins to develop in his mind. So in Job chapter 6, Job says, If my misery could be weighed and my troubles be put on the scales, they would outweigh all the sands of the sea. For the Almighty has struck me down with his arrows. Their poison infects my spirit. God's terrors are lined up against me. So here, Job now is viewing God as this person who's striking him down with these poisonous arrows and is just lining up these terrors one after another to afflict Job with them. But this picture of God gets grows to be even, even worse. In Job 16, Job says, God hates me and angrily tears me apart. He snaps his teeth at me and pierces me with his eyes. Again and again he smashes against me, charging at me like a warrior, yet I have done no wrong. What an awful picture of God is someone who hates you, is angry with you, is just trying to smash you with everything that, that he can. And then in Job 30, uh, Job says, With a strong hand, God grabs my shirt. He grips me by the collar of my coat. He has thrown me into the mud. I'm nothing more than dust and ashes. I cry out to you, O God, but you don't answer. I stand before you, but you don't even look. You have become cruel towards me. What an interesting picture that Job has developed of God. Because he thinks that the terrible thing, the trouble has come from God, he starts to view God as more of a monster than uh, as a God of love. So that's what happens to Job. Now, what's interesting is his, Job's friends have a different picture of what's happening here. They think, you know what, it's not just, um, it's not just, oh, hang on, actually we'll go through this. Before we go to that second lie that Satan tells, the big idea I want you to get from here is that God is not the cause of your trouble. The great news about the book of Job is that is it shows us that, that there is another being involved behind the scenes, Satan, an enemy, who is actually the one who is bringing all these, these bad things into our life. God is not the cause of those things. And um, you might be thinking, well, of course we don't believe God is the cause of those things. In Christian churches, we believe that God brings good things, that he's loving and all of this. But it's interesting that there's often subtle ways that we actually fall into believing this lie that Satan, Satan gives. And sometimes it's just through these little one-liners that we throw out to try to comfort people. Things like, if someone's going through a, a difficult time, you might say something like, don't worry, one day you look back on this and you'll thank God for it. Have you ever heard something like that? What about this one? 
All of this trouble is really just a blessing in disguise. Or this one here. God has a purpose in this. Now, it is true that God can take awful things that happen in our life and God can bring out wonderful things. God can transform our misery and bring good things out of it. But it's not true that God is the cause and the source of the trouble and the bad things that happen in our life. God is not the cause of your trouble. The second lie that Satan tells is that you are the source, you are the cause of your trouble. And this is really the path that Job's friends go down. Um, and so, they, so Job says, when you read through it, Job says things like, I've done nothing wrong and God has done all these terrible things to me. And his friends say things, but their argument is basically, hey Job, come on. We know God is a good God. He's a just God. If all these things are happening to you, then you must have done something wrong to deserve these things. And let me show you some little snippets that show how the friends make this accusation towards Job. They say things like this to Job. Job, you must have refused water for the thirsty and food for the hungry. You probably think the land belongs to the powerful and only the privileged have a right to it. You must have sent widows away empty-handed and crushed the hopes of orphans. That is why you are surrounded by traps and tremble from sudden fears. In other words, hey Job, all of these things that are happening, you must have done some really terrible things to deserve these, these, these terrible traps that have happened in your life. And then Bildad, one of his other friends, says this, Does God twist justice? Does the Almighty twist what is right? Your children must have sinned against him. So their punishment was well-deserved. Is that a comforting thing to say? So basically their argument is like, if your children died in this great calamity, they must have done some really awful things to deserve this. Again, the one thing they're not questioning is whether or not God is actually the source of this, this trouble. And it's true that there are times when we make bad decisions and that actually leads us into a place which cause us harm and suffering. It's true that sometimes, often our decisions have an impact that is negative for us. But what's interesting about this story is we know that it's not for those reasons that these things happened. And it very clearly says it uh, here in Job chapter 2, which we read before. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. God even says it. These things have happened not because of anything Job has done. They've happened because of these other things that have been going on behind the scenes. And so Satan wants us to think, um, Satan wants us to think that either God is the source of our trouble or we are the source of our trouble. And when we believe those lies, we end up either seeing God as a monster or we start viewing ourselves as a monster, both paths can lead us down a path of despair, which is where Satan is wanting to, to lead us. Now, before I finish on this point, there is one line in this verse here that is a little bit troubling. There's that last line there where God says, though you, so it says, and he still maintains integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Now, who did all these terrible things to Job? Satan did. 
So why is God taking responsibility for it? Can you see that in the text? God is taking responsibility. He says, you incited me against him to ruin him. God is saying, God is taking responsibility for these things that are happening. Is God responsible for what happened to Job? Maybe. He's not the one who caused these things, but if God is responsible for anything that happened to Job, Job, it's that he was responsible for the freedom that he gave Satan that allowed him to do these terrible things. Now, why would God do give that freedom? Well, this is sort of a whole other sermon that we're not going into today, but God is this God of love, and love flourishes in an environment of freedom. And because God's a God of love, he's a God who's always giving freedom. But here's the question. If God gave the freedom that allowed these terrible things to happen, can we trust God? Can we trust the God that even though if he might not be the one doing it, who allows these bad things to happen in our life? Well, I want to share with you a story. So I told you at the beginning that I love the ocean. So when I lived up at Kingscliff, I lived right opposite the ocean. This, um, not this beach. Again, it's just a picture of a beach. But I lived um, opposite the beach and... I used to love going for morning walks um, down outside and, and by the water. And it was just really beautiful. And I remember one morning, I got up and I walked out. It was just a perfect day, beautiful blue sky, beautiful weather. Um, and I started walking along the beach when I saw something out the corner of my eye. I saw this baby bird. And I, I'm the sort of person that when I see cool things in nature, I'll try to get as close to them as possible. And so I started sort of creeping over, trying to get as close to this baby bird as I could. And it wasn't just like a little baby bird. It was like a big baby bird. It must have been like a bird of prey or something. It was just just really cute little ball of beautiful nature. And I just saw this bird. I'm trying to creep over to this bird. And I'm just having this like amazing experience outside and with this bird. And I'm sort of connecting with it and with God. And it was this really cool moment. When I saw coming off in the distance, I saw coming down the walkway to the beach this woman who had with her this very energetic dog. And so they start coming down, and this dog was on a leash, and when they get to the end of the, the little pathway down to the, the beach, she reaches down and she unclicks the lead from this dog. Now, if, if, you've ever, if you've ever had a dog that's been inside for a long time and is finally let off the leash, what do they do? They just jump and they go berserk and they run around in circles and circles and they just have this... this overflowing hyperactivity just they just need to just get all this energy out and so i'm here over here standing and there's this there's this beautiful bird that i've just seen and i see over this to the side this dog that's just going crazy and is energetic and it's just has this look of mischief in his eyes and i start thinking i hope these two things don't come together so i remember i started trying to sort of place my body presence between the, the line of sight so that um so that this dog wouldn't see this bird. But the bird, after a little bit, the bird must have got a bit scared by the dog running around, and it just darted for the bushes. And it just disappeared. And at that moment, I looked across, and this dog saw it, and it came running towards this this, this bird, launched up into the air, dove headfirst into this bush, and disappeared. And I just thought, quick, get this dog! And so I raced up, and before I could get to the bush, out bounded this dog with this bird in its mouth, running towards, running outside. And I just thought, quick, try and like rescue this bird. And so for the next couple of minutes, 
both myself and the owner of this dog, this lady, we ran around in circles, around and around and around and around, trying desperately to catch this um, this dog to rescue this bird. And I was distraught by this this situation that was happening. But what was interesting is that the owner of this dog was even more distraught than I was. She must have been a, a nature lover, and she just had tears flowing down her eyes, and she was saying, let it go, let it go, let it go. And she was just traumatized by what she was witnessing her dog do. And eventually, we finally caught this dog. It opened its mouth, and sadly, the, the bird fell to the, to the sand dead. And she just looked at it, just completely distressed, and just said to me, I'm so sorry. And then just grabbed her dog, walked back to her car, didn't even go for a walk, and just went home. Now, why do I tell you this story? <laughs> Was that lady responsible for this terrible thing that happened? Yes? Did she do this terrible thing? She didn't do the terrible thing, but in a sense she was responsible and that she was responsible for giving the freedom that allowed this terrible thing to take place. Here's another question. Was that terrible thing that happened a reflection of this woman's heart? It couldn't be further from the truth. When this terrible thing happened, it wasn't a reflection of her heart, but it was something that broke this woman's heart. And when she saw this thing, she was distraught by what she had seen. Now, the same thing is true with God as well. God isn't the one who does... He's not the one that... He's not the source and the one who brings and causes these terrible things in our life. That's what Satan does. Satan is the, the person who brings the suffering and the pain into our world. If God is responsible, and God even claims responsibility, he's responsible for giving that freedom. But the thing is that just because God gives us the freedom doesn't mean that the things that we experience are a reflection of God's heart. It just it couldn't be further from the truth. When we suffer, God suffers. When we feel pain, God feels pain. God is heartbroken by the terrible things that happen in this world. And not just for one person, but he holds that, that collective agony in his heart for all the terrible things that are happening all across the world. And all you need to do is look to the cross, Jesus hanging on the cross, and you'll see just how um, closely he, he feels the pain that we feel. Um, he's with us in the midst of this suffering. He takes responsibility for it, um, but it does not reflect his heart. So just because God allows evil doesn't mean it's a reflection of his heart. Um, and that brings us to my final point. And I want to finish with something, a practical lesson that comes out of the book of Job, which is this. Oh. This, is, this is what I want to finish on. When facing life's troubles, who is more important than why? So who is more important than why? Now, what do I mean by that? Throughout the book, the question of why comes up over and over and over again. God, why are you allowing this to happen? And I think this is something that we can relate to. When things happen in our life, we often ask that same question. God, why did you allow this to happen? What, how can I make sense? I don't seem to deserve this, or this person doesn't deserve this. Why do you allow this to happen? And throughout these 35 chapters, they go back and forth, arguing about why this God might have let this happen. And there's even times where, they, where Job says things like, God, I wish you would just reveal yourself to me. 
And then I could ask you, and then I could find out why all these terrible things have happened. And what's interesting, when you get to the very end of the book, God does show up. And it's this dramatic appearance. He comes with this, the Bible says, it's this, it's this storm, it's a whirlwind. And there's this there's thunder, and it's, and it's wild, and it's, and it's glorious, and God shows up. And as a reader, you start thinking, finally, God is going to share with Job why these things are happening. Finally, God's going to say, hey, Job, there was this conversation in heaven with Satan. He made these accusations, and, and that's why this happened, and give some sort of understanding. But what's interesting is, when God shows up, he doesn't say anything about why. He doesn't say anything about why this is happening. All he says, all that he says is, he, well, all he does is he reveals himself. So he doesn't say anything about why, but he just talks about who he is. And he says things like this. Well, let's read the, about when he turns up. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God? Do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom? Does the eagle soar at your command? And so it's really interesting that, that God just describes who he is. He says, I am the one in, I'm the creator, and that's who God really reveals himself as, the creator, the one who made all things, who, whose knowledge is so much bigger and so much more expansive than Job's is. So Job wanted to know why, and God simply reveals himself. What is the meaning of all of this? Why is it significant to remember in these times that God is the creator? Well, if God is the creator, that means... He knows all things. It means he knows the end from the beginning. It means that he knows not only a little bit of what's happening in the unseen, he knows all the things that are happening in the unseen. Um, he knows not just about the conversation in heaven, he knows all the factors that are happening and he's, and he's juggling all of those things. And his knowledge is so expansive that we, it's so beyond what we can possibly wrap our minds around. And if that's what, who God is, then this is actually an invitation to trust. When we don't know all those, those answers and all those why, why these things are happening, the book of Job invites us to trust God because God knows what we don't know. He knows the end from the beginning. And I think that's really the invitation of the book of Job is to trust God when we find ourselves in those situations. But what's interesting is that for us today, we actually have another really important picture of God beyond this. For us, we don't just view God as the God who created us, but we also view God as the God who died for us. And how this adds to this as well is that, that the God we serve is not just the one who knows the end from the beginning and who can help us in our time of need, but the picture of God dying for us shows us that God loves us as well. He has this, this infinite love for us that he would do anything for us. And so this, and so the thing I want to really leave with you with is when you find yourselves being hit by those waves, those waves of life's disasters. So in the midst of that, remember, firstly, God is not the cause of your trouble. Satan is. Secondly, it's not a reflection of God's heart, but God is a God of love, and he's 
his heart is breaking as you as your heart breaks. But finally, the last thing that I want you to remember is just simply to remember who God is. Remember that God created you. Remember that God died for you. And I think if if you can keep your mind fixed on those two sort of pillar truths, that God's created you, that God died for you, he knows all things, and he loves you infinitely, then I think that's going to really help us when we face those really difficult times in life. So yeah, so there's... Do we finish with pr- I'll finish with prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the story of Job. And little did Job know that his story could encourage us as people so removed so far from his story. But So thank you for um, his example and the lessons we get from this book. And God, I just pray that you'll help us to keep our eyes fixed upon those two great truths that you created us and that you died for us. And that means that you know all the factors that are going on behind the scenes and you love us infinite, infinitely. And so, God, I just pray that you'll help us not to fall into those lies of despair where we end up thinking that that you're the source of our trouble, but help us to see you for how you really are, a God of love and a God who's for us in every way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.